everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast brought to you by Five Reasons Sports. It's not the full crowd. Shane is probably 10 shots deep in fireball and uh, celebrating the victory. And David is who knows where. So this is an emergency episode of the pod. It's just the reporters, myself, Eric Henry, and FAU beat writer Jake Elman for the Palm Beach Post. It's Saturday evening, just a few hours after FAU's 46, 48 to 6, excuse me, thrashing of UAB and what has turned out to be Lane Kiffin's final game as FAU head coach, defensive coordinator Glenn Spencer will take over as the interim head coach for the bowl game. That's pretty much the reason why we're taping early. You know, there is a, a lot of news in the immediate aftermath of this game. We won't get too much of the game recap because there wasn't much of a, contest, a contest to recap. And B, that can wait till tomorrow when we have the whole crew. Uh, yeah, man, just to sum it up, 62 total wins in program history with one shared Sunbelt Conference title in the 13 years prior to Lane Kiffin's arrival. In his three years at FAU, 25 wins, two outright conference titles in three seasons. Jake, you covered the game today. You were there. Uh, now your immediate thoughts in the aftermath of the news being official that Lane Kiffin is heading to Ole Miss and Oxford, Mississippi. Well, I think I finally stopped crying. So that's the that's the first step. No, I, in all seriousness, Congrats to Lane Kiffin. Congrats to the players. Um, we will see who follows Lane to Ole Miss. I just have so much to say about this because, Eric, it almost doesn't feel real. Like, we need to go back to over the summer when I said, I could see Lane retiring at FAU. Okay, somebody call Old Tech Ex- Exposed because I was wrong. He lasted three years, and he won conference championships in two of those three years, which, by the way, is two more conference championships than FIU has. I don't know what there is to say about Lane Kiffin. See, now, now I may actually get emotional because <laughs> – so I graduated from FAU in May, and my final class was a practicum. It was basically apply what you've learned in journalism school and, you know – Basically, okay, what you've learned in your classes and for some kids, you know, what you've learned in the field. So my final project, quote unquote, was what I learned, you know, five things I learned covering FAU, but mostly Lane Kiffin. And one of the major things I talk about, and I'm always going to say it when it comes to Lane, is I'm just grateful to Lane that I started covering Lane when I was 19 years old. I was a year and change out of high school. I was a jackass. I was immature. And Lane always treated me like a man and a human being when he didn't have to. This is somebody who coached in the NFL, dealt with NFL reporters, dealt with reporters at Tennessee, dealt with reporters at SC. And he always made me feel welcome. So I am thrilled for Lane that – he gets this opportunity. It will finally hit me at some point that he's gone and I won't know how to feel about that. I am excited for the future as somebody who went to FAU as somebody who covers FAU. And I'm just glad that it ended the way it did this. I've said this in my game story. This was the way it had to go out. FAU smashing UAB. They're the first team to score 40 on UAB in over a year. And it didn't end where Lane just stuck around too long and six and six and seven and five became the norm, or five and seven became what you got 
whether it was because of scheduling or because of just an inability to acquire talent or God forbid FAU got to the point where FIU surpassed them. Lane got to go out on his own terms and he went out on top. He did it his way. Jake, I think it's an interesting parallel you make in terms of talking about your own progression as, you know, a a man coming from a 19 year old kid. And now, you know, where you're at now in the three years covering this team. And I'm going to draw the the parallel to a very young program. You know, like I mentioned off the top, you're talking about a program that had 62 total wins in in the 13 years prior to Lane Kiffin's arrival. And then, you know, and in Kiffin's tenure here uh, in the past three years, you're talking about 25 wins and two outright conference titles. So just to move it forward, you know, the uh, we're still in the immediate aftermath, so we don't want to, you know, kind of uh, brush Lane aside and what his impact is, is meant to the FAU program. And we also want to leave Shane some room to talk about that as well. But just going forward, um, not specifically the immediate aftermath heading to the bowl game, but, you know, as we talk about, uh, just the future of this program. Do you think that the things that Lane Kiffin has built are sustainable? And that's the question I've asked a few people on Twitter and I've had a chance to ask you. And now that, you know, we're fresh off the emotions of the Conference USA title, um, what are your thoughts on that? I, we've been saying for months that Conference USA is so volatile. I want to think that what Kiffin has established, even with the portal, right? And I'm sure that you will have a couple kids that are saying – should I jump in the portal, even with Glenn Spencer being the interim coach? So there's some continuity right now. Should I jump in the portal, see where my options take me elsewhere? I think Kiffin has brought in a ton of great talent. I think he's brought in a lot of great young men. Chris Robinson has two years of eligibility left. He might win Conference USA MVP. John Rain has a year left. He's a guy who developed under Kiffin. You look at all the running backs. Davidson has two years left. McCammon has three years left. He brought in a lot of guys on the defense who were buried this year, really talented, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen that will have a chance to contribute next year. So I think kind of like what we saw with Charlie Partridge's guys who eventually took that next step forward under Kiffin. You bring in the right coach or you promote from within. I think that's sustainable, but the new coach has to come in. They need to recruit well, obviously need to win games, but I think you need to recruit a bit more in South Florida, but also keep doing what Kiffin did, which is recruit nationally, compete with some of those SEC and ACC schools for those kids. Larry McCammon was a kid that probably could have played at a lower tier SEC school. Kiki Leroy, who I think really deserves to win it, Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year or at least be right in the running. Kiffin said if he was an inch taller, he'd be a starter at Georgia. So I think, yes, I think what Kiffin has done is sustainable, but it's not as simple as just nine wins a year. There's a lot of different variables that I think are in position for the next coach to succeed. Jake, and and I'm going to jump in here afterwards and give, you know, kind of my two cents on it as well. But just what was the mood – just from your, you know, um, point of view pregame and then what was the mood in the postgame presser? And you tweet out a couple of things for those of you listening who may not have seen it. There were, you know, it, it was obvious. We knew about the news heading, like, you know, almost last night. We saw the video of Lane Kiffin's young son Knox reacting to the fact that he'd be heading to Oxford. And, you know, we saw reports and things of that nature. So no matter whether it was Conference USA or Florida Atlantic communication staff, 
kind of put a bridle on the questions that could be asked. And I'll let Jake, who was at the press conference, take it away as far as what was off limits versus on. But, you know, just what was the the mood heading into the day and what was the mood at the presser? Well, first thing, you know, with the Conference USA thing, 100% understand why they said don't ask, you know, just stick to questions about the game. Of course, it didn't matter because people were going to ask it anyway. I wish that Lane had expanded more on his decision. I understand why he didn't, but this took over this entire week to where it almost was. It became easy to forget that there was a game today. And my whole thing was he reportedly accepted the job on Friday and Ole Miss put out a statement with a quote from Kiffin or released with a quote from Kiffin 20 minutes after the game ended. And Kiffin didn't want to get into it. He said, I don't want to, he said verbatim, I don't want to get into it, which I understood. I didn't like, I felt it was a little unfair and I feel, I felt bad for the players and I still kind of feel bad for them because they, they won 10 of 11 after losing to Ohio State and after that humiliating loss at UCF where nothing went right. And I just worry that this game won't be remembered as the game where D'Angelo Anton had D'Angelo Antoine had 100-plus receiving yards, where Chris Robinson threw for four touchdowns, where Miko Dotson picked off his ninth pass of the season, where FAU, I would say, maybe played their most complete game of the year. It's going to be remembered as the game that was kind of an afterthought just because Lane Kiffin's job and what came out 20 minutes after the game. Two quick points, and I'm actually glad that you made the points that you did. One, and I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to assume you didn't because you probably were in the midst of work. This has happened. Mike Norvell had the same situation, University of Memphis head coach. Uh, it appears by all reports he's going to be the former University of Memphis head coach, as it appears he is heading to Florida State. He was asked on the field post game by, I believe it was Tom Luganbill. Um, I, I'm 95% sure it was Tom Luganbill and they're in, uh, in Memphis twice, actually. Uh, the first question was about the game. The second question was about his coaching status. And then there was a follow-up asked about his, uh, his status at Memphis. So, and he pretty much took the same approach as Coach Kiffin, which was, I'm not going to get into it. It's about today. So, you know, in, in, in Lane's defense, uh, his approach that he took is not unique. You know, that's kind of what you expect. Right. The, right. And, and then the, the second part of it that I'm glad you brought up is about the game. As someone who kind of saw this happen at UCF in 2017, I'll be the first to tell you, I can't remember anybody's stats about, and that was a game that was, I mean, this game we talked about, the final score was what, 48 to 6? Do I have that um, correct? 49 to 6. 49 to 6, excuse me. So, um, yeah, so this game was completely out of hand. The 2017 AAC championship was uh, a barn burner, probably one of the best games in college football that season, and I don't remember any of it outside of the hoopla of Scott Frost wearing a red shirt pregame and all the questions that he was asked postgame. So, and I'm really glad you make that point, Jake, because the fact of the matter is no one is really going to remember D'Angelo Antoine and Chris Robinson's multiple touchdown passes and that it's going to be remembered right. as, you know, Lane Kiffin's final game in Boca and, and the hoopla that went around it. Um, just, you know, I'm going to jump in and give a couple quick thoughts before we jump into the future of FAU football, maybe coaching candidates in the bowl game. Uh, Eric, Eric, before, Eric, Eric, before you do that, I just want to make something clear. I sure. understand 100% 
that there's a time and a place to do that stuff, to make those comments on what's next. My thing personally is just the comment Lane had already included comments or Ole Miss already included a statement from Kiffin in their release that was sent out minutes after the game ended. Came out when we were in the media room. So I feel like it's not disrespectful. And I'm, it's just I wish Kiffin had said something just as simple as, I mean, you guys probably saw what's out there. I want to focus on today, but just acknowledging it and just saying, you know, I, he did say a little bit. He said, I'm grateful for my time here. I just wish that he would have expanded on it more. And that's kind of my frustration. Like I said, that's where I, I don't, stand. Right. And that's kind of my frustration. And I don't want to sound as if I'm blaming Lane Kiffin, because I think that when you're in that situation as a head coach, that's probably the approach you have to take. However, some of my frustration is just that you can't ignore the obvious. You know, like you mentioned, Jake, you guys are in the press room and it came out, you know, while you guys are either waiting on lane or 20 minutes uh, uh, post game. So you can't ignore the obvious. I just think a simple statement, you know, about you don't have to get into the timeline of when it happened and things of that nature, because that can only do more harm than good. I just look back, for example, at, you know, the Scott Frost situation at UCF and all the hoopla was about, well, was he meeting with, you know, the Nebraska brass? Uh, what timeline was he meeting with them? Did he meet with them on a bye week, this, that, and the other? And I think a simple statement can, A, alleviate those questions going forward, and B, it does something for your players. You know, Jake, you're there. You know the relationship that these guys may have with Lane Kiffin or lack thereof. And I'm not insinuating one way or the other. I'm just stating it for the record. Right. But but I, I think, you know, the thing that gets lost, and I tweeted this out, is that these players have to go out there and play the game and kudos not only to a FAU for doing what they did, but also Memphis, both the teams who were looking at the prospect of losing their head coach went out there and took care of business. So just kudos to them on both sides. But that's, you know, just kind of my two cents is that I really wish that in these situations, there's no right way or wrong way to handle it. Um, or I, I shouldn't say there's not a right and a wrong way. I just think there's no good way in the end feelings are going to be hurt, you know, all the way around. I just kind of wish that there could be a little more transparency in terms of putting something out there that, Hey, you kind of give the media something to, to not something to chew on, but something that's sufficient enough to where you're not ignoring the obvious, but also you can respect the process of, you know, shoot, taking another job and things of that nature. And the fact of the matter is, being a college football head, a collegiate football head coach is, is a unique job. And what other field do we sit here and we, you know, ask someone, you know, what their timeline was for leaving one job versus the other. It doesn't happen in any other field except, you know, the world of sports. So I, in that end, I can understand it and respect it, but I just think there's a way you could have gone about it. Well, I think that this is a signing period, which is, you have to rush hiring a coach. And I, I mean, I've always been of the opinion that, yes, you should definitely try to hire a coach ASAP. But you put yourself in a really uncomfortable situation where if you're coaching a championship game between <laughs> Kiffin, Norvell, Scott Frost, you know, you need to sign that new contract sooner rather than later because you need to get started on recruiting. And you got to start building your staff. In the past, 
Kiffin, hypothetically speaking, could have agreed to the contract today, and he probably could have coached the bowl game, which he still might. The time we're recording this, we don't know yet if he's going to coach the bowl game. I would be surprised if he does, just because he officially stepped down. So I don't know. I've seen a couple tweets saying that there should almost be a dead period when it comes to coaching right after the regular season and right – so. Regular season ended November 30th. So between November 30th and let's call it December 7th. So tomorrow, recording this Saturday night, tomorrow, December 8th, start getting in touch with schools again and vice versa. My only problem with that is the whole recruiting thing because you've just ruined a week. And if you know deep down that you're going to leave for another school and you've already had those conversations why are you going to focus on recruiting for your school? Unless you're in a situation where you might be able to say to a kid, hey, I'm going from school A to school B. We would definitely have interest in you. Don't think that because I'm leaving that I'm saying adios, goodbye. I don't care about you, the player. It's and Once again, you made an interesting point there about whether Lane will or won't he be able to coach the bowl game, you know, based off a the recruiting aspect of it. But also you use the keyword there that he stepped down and I'm only using the UCF parallel because it's the closest thing to what I have um, in terms of a situation right. like this. Scott Frost actually was not, quote unquote, the UCF head coach. Uh, Josh Heupel, when the 2017 Peach Bowl was played, Josh Heupel had been named the UCF head coach and was actually watching the game from the press box there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Scott Frost was the Nebraska head coach. I believe my memory serves me correct. The interim head coach, if my memory serves me correct, was uh, offensive coordinator Troy Walters. However, Scott Frost was there. So there is a little bit of precedent. Should, you know, once again, you, you did say that you see, you think it'd be unlikely, but there is precedent for, um, despite the fact that Lane has quote unquote resigned as the head coach to still should the opportunity allow to coach the bowl game, but to kind of spin it forward here, what are your, you know, just earliest inclinations as far as guys who could replace it, um, replace that position and be named FAU's next head coach. As I mentioned, Glenn Spencer is the interim head coach. So I guess we'll start with him and I'll just let you take away from there. Uh, as far as Glenn Spencer, his resume, for those of you who don't know, he was a defensive coordinator, at Oklahoma state for, I believe 11 years, was a defensive coordinator at Charlotte for one year before making his way to Boca. Uh, was a finalist for the UTSA job, I believe, when Frank Wilson was hired. Uh, so just we'll start with his prospects. Yep. Does he get a fair look at the full-time position going forward? I would like that. I sure would hope so, just because he's done such a great job this year. The players really like him. I think that they like his tough love approach. We've gotten him a couple times, and he's not – a super rah-rah guy. He's not going to do him and Charlie Weiss Jr. are very polar opposites. Charlie Weiss Jr. will talk. And I like Charlie a lot. He'll talk a lot about a guy's strengths, like with Chris Robinson. We're really proud of where Chris has come. We're thrilled. Glenn is more of a, well, you know, he's done some good. He's done some bad, but we're happy. So, and players from what I've heard really like that because it's not, feeding a guy too much BS, but it's also not being too hard on a guy. It's keeping things in reality. So we'll see. I mean, if he's, if he coaches the bowl game, which sounds like he will, and the players give good feedback and the players say, Hey, 
Brian White, hey, Andy Seely, hey, Board of Trustees, give this guy a chance. Why not? I just think that the one thing working against him, and it's nothing against him personally, it's just the way football is, is older defensive coordinators don't get the love that maybe they should in the 50s. He hasn't coached at the FBS level as a head coach. He was a successful Division II head coach. But if you look at his resume, you look at the players' relationships with him, you look at their success on defense this year, I have to think that he will be in the running and he should be in the running. It's actually funny you mentioned that, Jake, because I was asking myself this question just a couple hours after the game, you know, my thoughts on Glenn Spencer, maybe his ability to get the job and your exact thoughts were the same ones as mine. That is, you know, this isn't a knock against Glenn personally. It's the fact of the matter. It's the way football is going nowadays. You know, he's not a younger defensive coordinator. He's someone who is, I believe, 55 years old. And the way, especially college football trending right now that's just not the way that teams are really looking to hire not that he may not be worthy or deserving of a chance and especially in a situation right. like FAU where you have a quarterback you know it's not like he's walking into a situation where he doesn't have an offensive unit in place but that's just not the trend of of college football right now next name I want to transition to is Charlie West Jr. Uh, any thoughts on him my dad uh my dad's been nagging me that Charlie should be the head coach look it's funny because I was just about to say the trends of college football would dictate that Charlie Weiss Jr. has more of a chance to be FAU's next head coach than Glenn Spencer. Here's the thing with Charlie. I think Charlie will be a great head coach when he gets the opportunity. He's a very smart guy. He's been on NFL staffs. He's been – he coached – he was an off-field assistant in Alabama. He's been the OC here for two years, and their offense has been great this year despite not having the talent that they had the last two years. No Devin Singletary, no Kareth White, et cetera, et cetera. Would I consider Charlie Weiss Jr. if I was FAU? Sure. I'd consider really most people. What's your pitch? Why should you be the head coach? Let's hear it. I just think that age might work against him, and I think that it's tough because he's done a great job this year. And like I said, I think he'll be a great head coach one day. I just don't know if the powers that be will say, okay, let's make a guy who will be 27 at the start of next season, our head coach. I'm going to give you one more name. Then I'm going to open it up to you to give a few names on your own. It's a name okay. that I've seen thrown around. Um, I've seen it just on social media. I believe Larry Bluestein made a campaign for this name. Uh, Eddie Grant, Kentucky offensive coordinator. Just what are quick thoughts on him? I would love that. Um, Bruce Feldman of the athletic reported that Grant might be somebody that FAU goes after. He also said uh, the former Miami uh, coach, um, uh, his name will come to me, but yeah, I think like, Grant would be good. I, 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 I think Grant would be good. Um, obviously in state experience, Older guy, has experience recruiting in-state, has been on some great programs, worked with some great coaches. It's not a splashy name, and that's one of the things I want to stress. The Lane Kiffin landing here I think was very unorthodox. I don't want FAU fans to go into this thinking Urban Meyer is going to be the next head coach or Art Bryles is going to be the next head coach. Or I tweeted this out. Even like Bill Parcells is not coming out of retirement. It will be somebody who 
I mean, this sounds obvious, somebody who the administration feels is the best candidate. But for all we know, and Brian White, it sounds like, is not going to make any type of public statements on the search. That could change. But based on Brian White's hiring methods, especially with basketball, it's not – and basketball is far different than football, but it's not about the guy who has been a power five head coach or who has even been a group of five head coach. It's – smart, experienced assistants. We might see, we might even see an FCS head coach in the mix because it's not about the splashy name who's won a national championship. That's nice and all. Who is the best fit for this program? Lane Kiffin was the best fit for this program in 2016 when he was hired. It wasn't Bobby Wilder. It wasn't Kendall Bryles who became the OC it was Lane Kiffin and whoever they feel is somebody who will elevate this program and take guys to the next level next year and recruit well. And I keep saying it. I think the next coach needs to be a little bit of a politician, needs to be more of a people person. Lane was fine with that stuff, but Lane always looks so uncomfortable in public. And when he did his TV show with uh, Frank Fort for Fox Sports Florida, I'm giving them a plug. Frank's a good guy. The next coach needs to be the type of person, I think, that goes up to donors at those events and it's like, hey, how's your kid doing? Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. And genuinely mean it. Not say it and then look around like you want to get the hell out of there. Yeah, and really quick, I believe the former Miami coach we're thinking of was James Coley. Um, but no, no, it, no, no, it was uh, – it was Jed Fish. Okay, Jed Fish. Okay, okay. It, it, was, it, it was Jed Fish. This, this is uh, this is behind the scenes podcast stuff at eight thirty <laughs> on a Saturday night after I've been up since five a.m. <laughs> Uh, Jake, Jake's had a long work day, so we'll have to forgive him on that one. Um, but yeah, just, you know, as we go ahead and close this one out, a um, couple quick names uh, that you may think of outside of anybody we have mentioned, and then we'll kind of give our final quick thoughts. Um, Glenn Ellerby of UCF, um, offensive line coach, uh, Broyles Award semifinalist last year. I think he'd be a good fit. I'm going to lump Kendall Bryles, Florida State's offensive coordinator, and Jeff Levy, UCF's offensive coordinator, together. Both were at Baylor when that happened. Both have been successful offensive coordinators. I know that UCF fans weren't thrilled with how some of the games were managed this year, especially on the road, but I think that was more hypo than Levy. You're free to correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. But I think though I think each I, I think either of those guys, if everything went well in the interview process and the administration felt comfortable hiring them, I would be fine with adding them. We mentioned Glenn Spencer. I'm going to give Doug Sosha a shout. Some of you might not know who he is. He's the head coach at Kaiser, which is an NAIA program in West Palm Beach. And I know what you're thinking. NAIA, that's a serious transition. What a weird name. Well, very successful high school coach, very successful coach at Kaiser. They went 10-0 in the regular season this year, 9-0 or 10-0. It's only their second season playing football. And he's been an assistant at the FBS level, and he was a Buffalo Bills assistant. So he's experienced. He's a smart guy. He would sell locally. if, And that's what I mean by not a splashy hire. You hear Doug Sosha, and the first reaction might be, oh, an NAIA coach. FAU could do so much better. Yeah, but 
if he's the right guy for the job, why not give him a chance? So just kind of close this one up here. And I think all the names that you mentioned, if you're an FAU fan, I think are ones that you have to consider because I do agree with you that, and I think it was our own Shane Marinelli who made this point on Twitter that kind of similar to what you said. And three years ago, Lane Kiffin was the right guy for this job. Now, if you fast forward and look at what he's done with this program, you may not necessarily see the splashy name. And I hope that that doesn't, if that is the case, and it's not necessarily a, uh, a name that most FAU fans are familiar with. I hope it doesn't dull their enthusiasm for football, you know, and obviously you're in better position to speak to this than I am, but I hope that the success that Lane Kiffin has built is one that it, it's something that I believe is sustainable. And I hope the fans really kind of get behind it, no matter who the coach is, because the players on the field, you know, this was a really entertaining product and, and the years that FAU has been good. It's been a really entertaining product. You've had, you know, a motor Singletary. And now this year you might not have had that quote unquote star, even though I think Harrison Bryan is a heck of a tight end. Um, it's been a team that you really can get behind, but just my quick thoughts on lane. Uh, when I talked to him at media days, uh, the thing that really kind of surprised me was, like you mentioned, Jake, he does seem very uncomfortable, and and that may be his true personality. So I do think that FAU may need someone who's a little more charismatic. But I think what surprised me the most is that he seemed very comfortable in Boca Raton, living in a certain life of anonymity. And the fact that he did take the Ole Miss job, granted, it's Oxford, Mississippi. It's not, you know, Los Angeles, and that may make a difference, but, you know, um, wishing him the best and we'll see how his tenure turns out. And I know you got one more thing you want to touch on before we close it out. Yeah. The first is I totally understand Lane being unsociable. I'm unsocial. I barely like leaving my house. So I totally get it. I just think maybe I'm off base. Maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a zoomer is what they call my generation. The zoomer. I just think when you're a college football head coach, you have to play a little bit of that politician role. You got to kiss some babies. You got to kiss a little bit of ass. You got to try to get some money coming in from the rich donors in Boca Raton and West Palm Beach. And Lane, he was okay. He, he was fine. You need somebody, if you're FAU, who is excellent. The type of person, I'll, and I'll keep saying it, who goes up to people on their own violation. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's your kid doing? How's your dog? That stuff. So I think that is going to be really important in this next coaching hire. The second thing is you made a great point when you said that you hope that people stay invested in this, in this football program and this university, even with Kiffin going. I think nationally it might be a challenge for a little bit unless you get a superstar player. And this is a point that I was making in our chat. You think about UCF's run with Scott Frost, and even last year with Heifel. It was never Scott Frost. It was Mackenzie Milton, Shaquem Griffin, other guys. FAU with Lane Kiffin. It was always Lane Kiffin. It was never Devin Singletary. It was never, for the most part, Aziz Alshire. It was never Jason Driscoll or Chris Robinson or Caleb Woods, Harrison Bryant, whoever. So whoever the next head coaches, and this is kind of part of, this is partly out of their control. This is on marketing. This is on the media, whatever. To get people invested in FAU, it can't just be selling people on the coach because the coach is eventually going to leave or get fired. That's the unfortunate reality. It works at Alabama. Saban is a god up there. It works at Clemson. Everybody loves Dabo. And 
selling FAU as Lane Kiffin's team, it worked. Fox Sports did it every year. Well, the past two years before FAU played on Fox. Lane Kiffin's Owls. It was never Devin Singletary's Owls. It was never Rashad Smith's Owls. If FAU can find a superstar and they have some really talented players, Malcolm Davidson could be that guy. Larry McCannon could be that guy. If you build them up, you build those uber-talented G5 players as superstars, your program will benefit from it. And yeah, like I said, those are all really great points that you make, especially in terms of kind of building that face of FAU football. That's one thing that, you know, especially the point you make about, especially when you're at a G5 job, you coach, he's either going to be fired he's gonna, or he's going to take another job. That pretty much is the way it is. It's rare. You're not going to have someone who stays at the job 20 years. So that's a really key point. But as we go ahead and get ready to close this one out here, I uh, want to thank Jake for taking the time. I know it's been a really long work day for him. So we just want to go ahead and get you guys uh, our immediate thoughts in the aftermath of Lane Kiffin's final contest. He goes out a winner, 49 to 6 winner against UAB. We will have the full house tomorrow. It'll be myself, Shane Marinelli, David Hondel, Jake Elman. And we will give you just our full recap of the game and then our complete thoughts of going forward and bowl game. And we'll know all those things when we tape tomorrow. So come on back. Thank you for listening to the Shula Bowl podcast. You can find us at Five Reason Sports on Twitter, at Shula Bowl Pod on Twitter. And we'll do it again. Thanks for listening, guys.